The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. As the world has changed dramatically in recent weeks, our jobs have changed too. If you're looking to explore the science of making sense of work in these trying times, you should check out Work Life with Adam Grant, a podcast from TED. This season, you'll learn how small wins can help you fight burnout, how you don't have to fight loneliness at work alone, and what veteran remote worker, aka retired astronaut, Scott Kelly does to build mental resilience. Listen to Work Life with Adam Grant wherever you get your podcasts. I know I always do. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. On the first week of March, I went down to Mississippi to meet two entrepreneurs. I'm Josh West. And I'm Nick Weaver. Josh and Nick started a company that sells hand-sewn jeans. It's called Blue Delta. Their customers are the kind of people who regularly pay $500 for their pants. A lot of professional athletes, baseball players. Nicole Kidman has a pair. And I wanted to talk to these guys because this kind of thing wouldn't have even been possible a decade ago. These guys have managed to live and work and build something in a place they love, but sell to customers who live somewhere else entirely. And when I toured their factory, which is outside Tupelo, things were going great. They knew it. Their problems, if they had any at all, were really fun problems. You know, we are, we are the official Ryder Cup pant for Team USA 2020. You know, we have these, you know, unbelievable uh, achievements that we, you know, probably shouldn't have for a Mississippi Jean company. So how do we go, you know, how do we make it bigger and better? I visited on a Friday and we didn't know it then, but it was kind of like the last day of the pre-COVID world. By the time I got home to New York, LinkedIn had closed its offices. The economy shut down after that. And Josh and Nick had to scramble to react to the biggest challenge they'd ever seen. That's actually where their story gets really cool. But it's not where I want to start. I want to take you to Tupelo first. I want you to hear Josh and Nick talk with all of the conviction of two guys who, like all of us, had no idea that everything was about to change. We're sitting here inside your factory, actually inside a very small room, inside another room inside the factory. And I want you to tell us how this whole endeavor got started. Sure. Well, in 2011, I was working uh, in economic development in, in northeast Mississippi. And part of my job was to help current business owners recruit industry and better their industry. And so I was in factories weekly. Um, and I saw a bastion of talent that, in my mind, was being underutilized, and it was the sewing industry. North Mississippi has a rich history of garment production. Most of that went away after NAFTA. Most of that went away in the, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and in most areas, um, when that went away, sewing died. Um, it only takes about two generations, and then that skill's gone. But in our area, furniture was here, and there's a small part of furniture that requires sewing. And so they kept a lot of those people trained. After talking to a few of them, I could tell that they could do way more than what furniture was asking of them as far as talent. 
And so I was kind so, of so they were what sewing seams on sofas. That's for right. People. So yeah. most of the furniture here is stationary or motion, meaning that's what you sit on. Sure. And so they're sewing straight lines for fabric covers for couches and chairs. And it's just, you know, they were making as much as they can. It's production work. It's fast. It's hot. It's a lot of sewers. I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial bug. Uh, Nick and I were high school friends. We were both, we had both moved back recently to North Mississippi after college. Uh, Nick's the best salesman I know. I'm not a salesman. I'm more of a process guy. And so I went and said, hey, will you quit your well-paying job and come start a custom jean company with me? And Nick, you said, absolutely, heck yes, do it tomorrow. First, I was like, you know, first thought was, one, I don't like the way Josh dresses, and he's trying to pitch me on a fashion company. Fun for me to think about is that we haven't changed our business concept. Josh's initial um, idea of creating a custom pattern for our clients and giving them the options to pick out the fabric and the thread and the cut, um, that was not available at the time. You know, even with all the technologies, this is in 2011, um, and we couldn't find a, a custom gene made in the U.S. So uh, we met for dinner. Uh, he wrote down uh, his idea on the napkin, and, uh, and we just uh, we, uh, started down the path. Right. Well, so that really makes a lot of sense. I think the thing that I'm curious about is why jeans? So I kind of backed into jeans. If you're going to make a garment in the U.S., you're going to have to charge a lot of money for it. And people will pay a premium for quality, but like you can't make Fruit of Looms in the U.S. anymore. It's just not going to make any money. And really came down to three different options. And there's probably more, but this is what I came up with. Like wedding dresses, like fashion dresses, um, which there's a person in Alabama that's doing very well doing that. Um, custom suits, a lot of competition in the U.S. with for custom suits, and you have Savile Row and the whole thing. Um, and then premium denim. And the reason we really went with premium denim is um, nobody was really doing it. Now, there's some really uh, established custom designers of denim out there in New York, Boston, but they're really like one and two man shops. And you go there and you get fitted and you come back and come back. But we were wanting to do it uh, to scale and be able to sell online to the masses. And so that we didn't really see it out there when you're two, you know, rednecks from Mississippi. Denim makes sense. A lot of people wear denim here and um it's it's a, a fun lot product. of people wear denim in new york true true we've learned that you know people wear denim everywhere and it's an american it, product yeah and this big push of the uh, of the business casual movement this mm-hmm. customization movement this made in the usa movement we kind of had all three of them wrapped in one you know it was a good time and you know it's a good story but if you make a damn good product well then it works you know what credentials did y'all have to zero. Go into zero. zero zero i have a, a english degree and uh went to graduate school for public policy and Nick has a history degree. I have a history degree. I experience entrepreneurship. Josh comes from four generations of entrepreneurs. Uh, and I'm a history degree storyteller, you know. Uh, but, you know, I quit college uh, a few times to start up companies uh, as far as, you know, after Katrina, I did roofing on the coast in New Orleans for almost a year and a half. It was a lot easier to go back to school after you spend a uh, summer on a roof in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, easier to do homework after that. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, even during college, uh, I was starting companies, uh, painting parking lots, uh, cleaning, you know, always how we've been able to grow our company, I think, is just as unique as, you know, anything else uh, that is a part of the story. The reason why I was really interested in your story is because you are able to 
live here in northern Mississippi, grow your company here, but your customer base is not here. And so I want to know how you first connected with them. So our initial plan, because we didn't really have the resources to do anything else, was win your backyard. And so that's what we did. We opened a store in Oxford, which is the most influent town in our area, and started selling the product. And then you know, it was really word of mouth. Um, we didn't have a marketing budget for several years. And it was... How much did your jeans cost when you were open in Oxford? Two ninety. Yeah, two eighty, two ninety, something like that. Basically, our wholesale price mm-hmm. because it was straight to to direct, uh, you know, directly to our customer base. Then, and and we were uh, practically apologizing for that when we told the clients, you know, but it was we were and learning. We had four fabrics; three of them were blue, and none of them had stretch. So you were selling these jeans for. in Oxford. Did you already have the vision that one day Nicole Kidman would be wearing your jeans or or did you have to trip into that? And if so, how did you do that? We never planned on being small. You know, we we didn't plan on this being a a mama. I mean, you know, Josh and me have always been, I guess, quote unquote dreamers. Um, And we we believed in each other. You know, we didn't try to find, um, you know, some big you know, fashion consultant, um, you know, we had many people tell us like, how are you going to sell it if you're making it here and you got to touch, you know, that's been everybody's, but we figured it out, you know, and we've created different products along the way. People have taken us back home with them or, you know, they have taken us with them. The uh, head coach of the football team named offensive play after us. Uh, you know, we were, um, you know, we were Eli Manning's Christmas gift, uh, to his family. So, you know, we knew we had something because, People were finding us, even with little to no effort, we, but they were taking us home because of product. Right. For, for a while, we were, you know, when you go back to your hometown and you take your friends to your favorite restaurant, I feel like we were everyone's favorite little stop for a while, um, which we worked hard and we were proud of that. And then those people would go back home and have us out. And then, you know, we got into some major league locker rooms, developed some relationships with some larger wholesalers of custom clothing, and it just started kind of word of mouth just kind of spreading. The uh, professional athlete as a customer is, is very interesting to me. I hadn't thought about why a professional athlete might need a pair of jeans made specifically for her or him. They so, definitely do. So why? Well, Fit. Well, if you've ever been in a major league clubhouse, then you'll immediately feel very short. These men are big. So we loaded up. We're like, all right, this probably isn't going to work, but we'll go watch some spring training baseball just to see. I think we did like 39 pair in two days. We're like, hey. And and the people that were buying the jeans were, you know, people that probably get a lot of free stuff. World-class athletes, yeah. So we saw the rebuy there. Um, I think the next week we got a call from a player uh, on the Cubs. So we, we got him to we, we got invited to go to Wrigley. The uh, Chicago Cubs are still uh, our biggest um, st- strong uh, stronghold on the uh, athletes. The cool thing about MLB is they baseball trades players yearly. So if you get a guy that really loves your product and he gets traded to Philadelphia, he's going to call you up and say, hey, we need to get these gene guys in this locker room. So we built that brand, and that spills over to the NFL. Um, 
which you know we've got we have quarterbacks that are buying products for their players. Prescott from the Cowboys had us out twice last year, and I asked him, I said, "Hey, man, you know, really appreciate you having us this twice. Can I ask you, you know, why is this so popular?" He said, "Man, uh, I gave out private jet hours last year for Christmas, and didn't anybody even remember where they got it from?" He said, "I'm getting hugs for these jeans." Because their offensive linemen are six six for three hundred pounds, and they almost skinny jeans. So it's uh, it's uh, it's you know it's something that you know although you know um, you, you know it's uh, it's something that like Josh said earlier you know this is his little you know dive or restaurant that he knows about that other people don't know about. What is meaningful about doing this from Tupelo? Because at this point you could have your talent base here, but since your customers are everywhere, you could kind of live anywhere. It's a good workforce, and the talent is here. You know, we have over 250 years of blue jean sewing experience in a company that's eight years old. So I'm not sure anybody's doing it better than this. But we like our company organizational charts very flat, and we want our salespeople uh, and the people that could do it from other places to know why our product's special. And the people out there in the factory sewing these jeans is what makes this product possible. We're 40 people top to bottom, so we're a very small company. Um, it's Mississippi's a, a great place to do business. Cost of living is reasonable. Labor force is great. And so it's not really that we have to be here. I mean, Nick and I were both um, raised here and it's a great place to raise a family but the workforce is just talented and they're willing to work and um we create a great product if i would have had to move to start this business we wouldn't have done that i would have found something else to do in north mississippi because you know work's an important part of your life but it's not your life yeah. well how about you it's uh you know it you know it's home it's family it's food it's safe you know it's comfortable uh, i am very southern i'm uh, still wearing cowboy boots since 2020 but uh, i mean i like it and i couldn't imagine doing anything else you know and that's from a personal side now from an entrepreneur side you can still do things here without daddy's money you know, me and Josh didn't have, you know, we, we you know, weren't some trust fund kid. No, no bank was going to give us a loan to start a custom gene company. But we were able to pull some, you know, some natural resources, a.k.a. his granddad's old weld shop. Uh, and, you know, buy 22 sewing machines in Memphis and put them on a flatbed truck and haul them down here. We were able to talk Miss Miss Sarah into coming and sewing on Monday nights from five to nine p.m. The roof leaked, um, um, and you know me and Josh tarred the roof. If you if you said that you got a uh, aerospace engineering degree from Mississippi, that may you know great you know. But if you say it was cooked here or made here or music is from Mississippi, those things carry clout, and I don't care where you are. Well, what do people get wrong about Mississippi? I think they assume that it's that everyone here thinks the same and and we just don't i mean it's there's it's not a narrow-minded place we don't get everything right but um i think people are for the most part open and um and there are some things we do get right and so i I think that's the i think that's the the main thing i see when i go somewhere else or travel outside of the state is people already think they have us pegged um because Usually within an hour of the conversation, they say, you guys are nothing like I thought you were going to be. But then the flip side of that is the thing that you're selling, right? You're selling in part an idea that people have about Tupelo that you're building, right? So we have these ideas that aren't 
correct, that are sort of stereotypes that are bad. But then we also have these ideas about places that are really beautiful and good, right? And it is interesting in in 2020, with so many things that we buy, jeans or anything else, so much of what we're buying is the idea behind the thing. Like anybody can make a pair of jeans. They can't make a pair of the jeans that you make. Um, but anybody can make and sell a pair of jeans, and we're paying for something beyond that. I agree, and I think story is a is a huge part of our brand, but we've always said we have a great story. People like what we're doing, but if the product sucked, no one would buy it. And so you have to make sure both of those things work. So what's your low point been so far? Oh, man, we have had some low points, you know. Uh, man, there's been, uh, you know, every entrepreneur is going to have stories. Um, Josh had to buy my Jeep so I could get married. Uh, I mean, we had to, and, and the only bank that would give us the loan was in Memphis. So the night of my rehearsal dinner, me and him had to go to Tennessee and go to a I bought his, I bought his Jeep. Yeah. Wait I mean, a minute. So you took a loan to buy his Jeep. So that he could pay the caterer for the wedding? Yes, and the rent and everything. Now, he let me drive the Jeep. And every uh, now and then, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be like, hey, I need to take my Jeep back. <laughs> yes, so we've had some good stories. Entrepreneurship is like dating. Like When I was dating my wife, you know, even though like I realized pretty quickly I wanted to marry her, but I was like, I was cool with the dating part. Like, it wasn't where I wanted to be, but I was cool with it. And entrepreneur is like, yeah, we wanted to be making money, but... It was fun. Like, even those low points was fun because it was our company. We were really trying. And even if it would have failed, I mean, it would have been terrible, but it was fun to try it. And we had a plan that if it did fail, then we were just going to lie to everybody and said, this somebody in Oklahoma bought Bought it. So So we had a little (laughs) scapegoat on that one. Josh comes from a family of entrepreneurs. His father and grandfather ran local businesses. And in many ways, he's following in the family tradition. But there's one thing that's very different, the internet. During Josh's life, the internet came into existence and went from being a slow novelty to an information superhighway. If you have access to high-speed broadband, geography stops mattering, or at least it matters in really different ways. Anywhere you are, you can be a global business. So I asked Josh about this. I think it's absolutely a global endeavor. You know, there's people around here doing some really cool stuff. There's a lady in New Albany, Mississippi, that sells cakes and pies all over the world. You couldn't do that, um, you know, in 1995 even. And it was, it was in that time, it would have been a cool bakery, but now she's selling cakes and pies all over the world. You see that, and then you see jeans. And if we would have started this company to, to open a, a shop in Tupelo and just sell one product, um, I mean, we would never have made it. But... We didn't even really think that way because we grew up in the internet age where you can sell anything to anybody, really. We have decided to invest uh, in body scanning technology. You know, we're, you know, we are going to continue to, uh, you know, try to better ourselves and and to reach other people with technology. Body scanning technology, how's that work? So right now, um, if you want to get measured for a pair of blue delta jeans, either you have to buy one from one of our wholesalers or we have to come see us, some of our sales team. And we're doing a lot of that um, because we have to measure you 16 times, you know, from the waist down. So um, we have a lot of people weekly pinging us on our website trying to buy our product that we can't fit and that we may not have a wholesaler in their area. So if I'm from, I don't know, Portland, Oregon, and I've heard about you because I saw my 
favorite <laughs> baseball player wearing your jeans, I can't get you. You can't. We're going to tell you um, we'll probably be in your city soon. We'll call you when we come. And by then, you may not want to spend $500 on some jeans. You may have something else. bought. You've bought something else by then. Um, and so the body scanning software is is just an app that will take the measurements that we would take in person and you would still online, you can build your gene right now. You can go on our website and pick your fabric and pick your thread colors and build everything about the gene. We just need your measurements. And so it's going to take measurements the way we take measurements. And hopefully it's going to be more accurate than even us. We're in the middle of that right now and it's, it's going well. What advice do you have for people who want to start a business in their local community? There's no substitute between sacrifice and hard work. You know, starting a business is kind of like growing a garden. You can't trick it. You know, you can't trick a seed into water or sunlight. You you, you can't go through the motions. You, you you have to do it. And that's one thing, I, I, you know, that, you know, me, Josh, and other employees that have helped us build this have uh, have done things that I don't think other people would be willing to go through or do or, or, or to endure. And we have, you know, we're still here, you know, and now it's, you know, now it's the fun year. We are the official Ryder Cup pant for Team USA 2020. You know, we have these, you know, unbelievable uh, achievements that we, you know, probably shouldn't have for a Mississippi Gene company. So how do we go, you know, how do we make it bigger and better? And one thing that we did share was the same vision, you know, and we, like Josh has, you know, said, you know, our personal lives are even different, you know, our uh, political parties are different, but, you know, our vision of the company was the exact same. That was awesome. Thank you for coming. Good, yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming to Mississippi. That was Josh West and Nick Weaver, the founders of Blue Delta Jeans. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we recorded that conversation on Friday, March 7th. Two months later, almost to the day, I called the guys back. A lot had changed. I was actually nearby. I'd come down to Tupelo to stay with family, but we couldn't get together because most businesses were still closed down here. And like in many places, people were taking extreme precautions to protect each other. A lot had happened for Josh and Nick. 
Blue Delta sells to a lot of Major League Baseball teams. Their biggest team is the Chicago Cubs, and normally Nick and his colleagues have great access when they show up. They usually do their fit and measure service right in the locker room, but this time it was different. I noticed that they wouldn't let me inside the facility, and they actually made me set up outside, out back. So I was kind of, kind of, you know, weirded out. I'm like, you know, what's going on? And they said that they had shut out all the Major League Baseball clubhouses, the media, press, and uh, outside vendors. I was like, okay, well, during this time, had one of the players come out and say, hey, did, did, did you guys hear that the Seattle Manors and the San Francisco Giants aren't returning home after spring training and that they're going to start their season here in Arizona? Later that evening, uh, I was watching an NBA game, and they actually ended the game halfway through the game. They called the game, uh, and immediately the NHL and the NBA canceled the rest of their season. So all of this was within hours. You know, you're looking at 24 to 48 hours, major organizations, major major decisions that would affect months and, and and billions of dollars were happening quick. So we knew that this, uh, we knew this thing was going to be big. For a while, things seemed okay. Even with their outside status at spring training and Delta Blue Jeans moved on to working some golf events. They had a great day at a PGA event. They sold lots of products, but then once again. And then Thursday, they send everybody home, vendors, players, everything. And so on the way home, uh, Nick, our other partner, Tyler in Texas, really started having, you know, these phone calls and Tyler started headed to Mississippi. Nick starts heading to Mississippi and I'm headed to Mississippi to really decide what we're going to do as a company. Because, you know, we see we, we saw, you know, a half a million dollars in events evaporate in, you know, three or four days of, you know, cancellations. So we really had to make some tough decisions at that point. That must have been terrifying. It was. It was very uncomfortable. You know, we've we've built this from 2012, and we've never had orders slow down. You know, we've grown every year. So to see that, and we've always had a backlog. So to see that order volume, at least for a for a little bit, just stop, was was really scary for us. And not only that, we uh, didn't know what the future, uh, you know, um, of our company is going to look like as far as the vendors, fabric sourcing, or were we going to be, you know, able to, you know, uh, keep making product. Now, we had not heard the term uh, essential businesses yet at that time. So we were preparing to keep making jeans through this, but we didn't even know how that was going to look. Something that we were very capable and very familiar of doing. And it went from preparing to make jeans in a weird climate to, uh, you know, maybe there is no gene production, you know, during this time. And um, on the way from Texas, Tyler's family is in the medical field. His uh, sister and brother-in-law are surgeons in, in uh, Tyler, Texas. And they alluded to the shortage of the PPE that was coming. And Tyler is your business partner. Yes. Yeah, he's our CFO. So Tyler calls us and uh, says, hey, um, you know, we maybe need to look at making masks in the next week, you know, from, you know, at least take a small portion of our manufacturing. Let's try to plug as much gap of the need as we can for a small business 
and it went from using a small portion of our resources, labor, and time to maybe we need to use all of our resources and time. Well, so do you have to change a lot of things to make masks instead of blue jeans? Well, you know, we say it's like asking a an artist that paints portraits to come paint your house. Um, it's very easy for our seamstresses and tailors to make a mask when they're used to making a bespoke jean. But the hard part is configuring the factory, setting your machinery differently. And then one of the hardest parts was for us learning how to make it in a safe way during a pandemic. We have more people in our factory today than we did pre-COVID because the demand is so high. And so we had to learn how to do that in a safe way. We brought in a medical team from our local uh, healthcare system to kind of teach us how our people needed to be washing hands, suiting up. And then we put up a lot of temporary walls. It looks a lot different than it did when you were here. Is this a business for you? Or is this a charitable endeavor? It's, it's both for us. So our two, our two main reasons of doing this was, A, to keep our doors open and keep our people working. Um, we didn't know what gene cells would look like. We don't know what they're going to look like after this. Um, but we knew we wanted to keep our team intact. And then two, there's a need for that. Uh, it's, it's a drastic need. And there's a lot of people doing it but and helping. But we knew that with our resources here, not with just labor talent, but with uh, the raw materials that can be, be produced in Mississippi, we're making the fabric that we're making the mask with. Not a lot of places in the country you can do that. And so what do, you, we, what do you mean by that? You're making the fabric that you're making the mask with. So a mask, a mask can be made out of a lot of different things, but the, the most uh, effective is a, is a, a non-woven product that's, that's from a poly product. Well, a lot of non-wovens are made in the furniture industry. And so we took a poly plant, put a different filtration on the inside and made a polyurethane mask um, it, it's not, it's not like N95 quality, but it's much higher efficiency than like a bandana or a cotton mask. And so we made this fabric with some help from our suppliers. We, we called Mississippi state. This is the good part about being from a small state. We called Mississippi state and said, can we use your lab to test this? And they got us in the next day. We tested it, made sure it wasn't, it was going to help made, you know, determine is it how much better is it than a cotton mask etc and and use that to to make you know now we're you know bumping a million masks that we've made and shipped out of our small factory and where are the masks going for the most part we were finding places to send these masks we are working with state agencies mema uh, which is the Mississippi version of FEMA. In 96 hours, we were able to retool our retool our factory, make a design that works, source the fabrics, and find a good home for these masks. Uh, MEMA sends the National Guard to pick up our masks two times a week, and they distribute them, which is, is great for us because we know that MEMA's going to get them to the people that need them the most. We don't really have to worry about distribution. We just have to focus on making as many as we can make. And so really your customers at this point are the local governments who need to be providing these masks to first responders. Right. right. We went from uh, 
making 400 masks a day on, on uh, day one to now uh, with our umbrella of our subcontractors and all, we're doing about 150,000 a week. Wow. When I was in your factory, I got to see people sewing jeans. How many people would I see today relative to how many people I saw then? Well, you would see about 30 people, about 25 to 30 new faces sewing masks. And then you'd see 10 to 15 of our employees that when you were here uh, were making jeans. We've actually moved the jean line to a different area. So we've, we started receiving jean orders again, which is a good sign. And we're making those in a smaller section. And the line share of our factory is is making mass. So, you know, on a normal day here, we're, you know, we're have almost 50 people in the factory. So are those new hires that you're able to make from the community? Where are they coming from? They are. They're, they're new hires, part of the millions of people that are unemployed right now. And we were able to partner with other, uh, other sewing facilities in North Mississippi that their business dried up, you know, within 48 hours, a little like ours did. And they were able to turn on their sewing factories and put their people back to work. So now, Underneath our umbrella, we have north of 100 people that are sewing masks for us right now. Wow. So tell me about the jeans business right now. You said orders have started back. Um, We are also looking at a recessed economy for potentially a very long time. What does it do to what you're trying to do? You know, we're thinking long and hard about that. The shorter answer is we don't know what the luxury jean market is going to be, but we're we're really bullish on our team here. And luckily we've been planning for some things that will help us with uh, the new world uh, post COVID that we didn't really know what we were planning for when we were doing it. You know, we, we have some technology options out there that we didn't have that we're still working on now that will allow us to fit people uh, without touching them. Um, a lot of our events or a lot of our gene cells are event based and so we think this technology option could help us uh, be direct to consumer uh, and, and sell a gene from to anyone in the world from from the ease of their their cell phone or their laptop. So, you know, I think that's going to help us uh, when we when the market does come back. Um, but our customers have been awesome through this. Um, we've had people call and order jeans, and even when we say, "Hey." I don't know when you're going to get these because, you know, we had a pipeline of jeans pre to pre COVID that we still have to make. And so our gene, our gene production is happening, but it's at a smaller rate. And so, but our customers are saying, put the jeans in, charge me. I'll get them when I get them. Some people are buying gift cards for later. I mean, it's been amazing to see the, the, the BDJ family, as we call it, really support us through this. They want you to stick around. I keep thinking about that conversation we had on that Friday. And there was this point at which I asked you guys, what was your hardest moment so far? And you really had to think about it because your trajectory had been basically up and to the right since you had found product market fit. And you talked about the very early days. So in May of 2020, if I asked you now, what's the hardest moment been so far? How would you answer that? I think for me, it was definitely that Sunday night when when me and Nick and Tyler were sitting around a table uh, truly contemplating laying off half of our workforce. Um, luckily, we didn't have to do that. Um, but uh, working through this has been so uncomfortable. 
And I say that knowing that there are a lot of people out there that have much bigger problems than a gene company right now. You also have to think about the safety of your employees. And we gave everybody that option to go home and wait this out. And when we're making jeans again, you can come back. Uh, and nobody took us up on that. Everyone stayed um, because they wanted to keep working, obviously, but I think more because they knew what we were doing and knew that it was going to help a lot of people in our state. We've learned a lot about what our team can do, but we still don't know what the future holds. So it's 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 still scary. We're working six days a week, 12, 12 hour days. To me, it's much easier to be here uh, shipping product every day than uh, sitting at home worried about uh, what's to come. At, at least we we have some some type of effect on the future, or at least we feel like we do. That was Josh West and Nick Weaver. They're making jeans and masks outside Tupelo, Mississippi. I've been down here in Tupelo all spring, and it's a pretty special place. It's a place that lends itself well to starting things. When you don't have the costs involved in city life, like high rent or high taxes, you're able to take more in different risks. The barrier to entry is just lower. I think there are a lot of spots like that in the U.S. and beyond. So this week on Office Hours, we're going to talk about the best places to live right now. Our producer, Sarah Storm, and I get together every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and we go live from my profile. It's our coffee break, a chance to visit with listeners and talk about the episode. It's very informal, and we'd love to have you join us. Come tell us about where you live or where you want to move. That's it for me. If you like the show, please rate our show on Apple Podcasts. It takes two seconds, and it helps new listeners find us. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Madison Schaefer and Sarah Storm. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Maya Mangini, Victoria Taylor, Michaela Greer, and Juliette Ferreau make sure to wear their masks when they go out. A special thanks this week to everyone in Tupelo who has taken such good care of my family while we were in quarantine. I'm Jesse Hempel. See y'all next Monday. Thanks for listening. If either one of you guys needs some mask, let us know. We ship worldwide, and especially you in New York. If I need to Thank drop, you. if I need to drop ship some mask, that's uh, that's easy for us to do.